Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Don't be too smug, Gavin. I don't know what the hell was going on with Churchill and that bulldog of his. That was pretty weird. Yes. The following podcast contains... Only I didn't say fudge. And for gosh sake, watch your language. Watch your profanity. Right, I'm sorry. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When you, uh, when you thought calling a dog the Ayatollah of Partiola was a good marketing campaign, what the hell were you thinking? I'm your host, Dave Bledsoe, and this is episode number 427, the original party animal edition of the show, where we talk about that time in the 1980s people wanted to fuck a dog. Stay tuned. The what the hell are you thinking podcast is brought to you by Barkanon Canine Alcohol Rehabilitation. If your dog has a drinking problem and is ready to get help, then they need Barkanon. We offer inpatient and outpatient treatment for canine alcoholism. Our structured programs can detox and help your furry friend on the road to sobriety. Our staff are trained veterinary addiction specialists to provide compassionate care for problem dog drinkers of all breeds. If your dog has a drinking problem, don't tell them they're a bad dog. Tell them there's help. Tell them there's barking on. There he is. What a happening dude. They're a super party animal. Yeah. His name is Fox McKenzie. A barbecue inside. A barbecue. And a cold bud light. A cold bud light. Puts him in a party frenzy. In a party frenzy. He's Fox McKenzie. Bud Light's original party animal. Ghostbuds go. Ghostbuds go. Ghostbuds go. Ghostbuds go. Like most Southern boys, my childhood was fairly dog-intensive. One of my earliest memories was helping my grandpa feed his old coon hounds. Dude, completely inappropriate. But, no, no, that's the name of the dog. They weren't racist dogs. They were hunting dogs. You have a racist dog. He hunted raccoons with them. Jesus. What was that? Oh, yeah, uh... Along with my grandfather's not-at-all-racist dogs, there were always several other dogs floating around their house in the holler. My aunt had several of the years, lots of German shepherds, and she had one that was, it was named Bruce. Are you a homophobe, Dave? Homophobe? What? Because Bruce was a stereotypically gay name of the 1970s? Is that how little you think of my family? Oh, yeah, I can see how you think that. No, Bruce was named by my aunt, who probably had very little idea of the cultural connotations of the name at the time. Now, Bruce... He bit me once. Yes, because you hate gay men. Damn, Gavin, you were pent up after weeks of not picking the drops. No, Bruce bit me in the face because I was being a shitty kid to him and I deserved it. I still have a tiny little scar on my face from where Bruce bit me. As an adult, little changed. I was a dog handler in the military. What kind of dog, you may ask? Gay dog. No, no, no. He was just, well, well, maybe Robbie. But Robbie was more pansexual than gay. I mean, he'd fuck pretty much anything. Traffic cones, car tires, the... Leg of George Herbert Walker Bush. The president. 
He was indeed, at the time, serving in that capacity, but Poppy was cool that he loved dogs and he thought it was hilarious. What I'm saying is, is that for the early years of my life, I was in a constant state of dog having. That all came to a stop when I got a lab puppy from my aunt, the same one who had named Bruce. His name is, um, his, na- his name was, um... Fergus. Hold the phone alert! How is Fergus a gay son- No, wait, I can kind of see it. Can we just move past it already? This dog did more to damage my home in a seven-day period than most dogs could in a year. After he ate the dry out wall out of three separate rooms, Fergus went back to my aunt's, and I no longer had any dogs. It's not that I have anything against dogs. I still love dogs. I just don't have the time and space to properly care for the dogs. These days, I stick to a cat. Just the one cat who, I should say, over the years has achieved a Fergus level of destruction via micturating on things not designed to hold, contain, or dispose of cat urine. And when the cat's time is over, I'm telling you this, I'm stepping down to a plastic fucking cactus, something that cannot die, but also can't damage my home. I love animals. I'm just not sure that animals love me. Yes, some humans are unevolved bigots who- Are, are you done, Gavin? Are we done with this? What I am saying is at least of my many dogs during my lifetime, none of them, not a single one of them, drank all of my beer and ran off with all the hot chicks of the party, leaving me sad and alone. Which brings us to this week's topic, when in 1987, Budweiser decided that what the world really needed was a dog that liked to drink Bud Light and party. There is so much sexual tension to un- unpack in Spuds McKenzie. So pop a nice cold Bud Light, and let's talk about the original party animal. Now, we have talked at length on this podcast about the history of beer. For our most detailed look at beer in the 1980s, see episode 215, Midnight Three-State Beer Run. That's, uh, that's a plug. So I won't spend a lot of time here rehashing that content. Suffice to say that in 1982, Budweiser was feeling the pressure from Miller, who had launched their own Miller Light Beer in response to that whole health craze of the 1980s. Quoting now from the Atlantic, quote, Executives at Anheuser-Busch, Budweiser's parent companies, were skeptical. We think our beer is light enough, the company's vice president Bruin said at the time. They were quickly proved wrong. Miller seems to have been the first company to discover that having success with a light lager is less about how it's brewed than, how, than about how it is marketed. Miller Lite went national in 1975 with an advertising onslaught featuring professional athletes selling men on that lager tasted great and was less filling. The message was guys can drink light beer too, and it worked. Miller Lite became a hit shipping 5 million barrels in its first full year. Other companies were forced to respond. Coors brought back Coors Light, and Anheuser-Busch debuted Natural Light and Michelob Light in 1977 and 1978, respectively. But the company was reluctant to release a light version of Budweiser, America's best-selling beer. Unquote. Things being what they were, Bud sent their brewmasters out to create a light beer that could compete with Miller. Yeah, yeah, but your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. What they came back with was a watered-down, tasteless version of an American lager. 
It tasted exactly like all the other light beers on the market and only slightly worse than full-flavored Budweiser. Mass market American beers are nothing to brag about at the best of times. They're fine for what they are, a cold, wet, slightly alcoholic drink that people can consume in large quantities while watching sports. A triumph of mediocrity. Budweiser debuted their bland sex in a canoe beer in the, to the American public during Super Bowl 16, the 49ers versus the Bengals. 85 million people were watching as Bud dropped the first Bud Light commercial, although it was called Budweiser Light at the time, featuring one of their classic Clydesdales galloping down a foggy beach for no adequately explored reason. Born of tradition, nurtured by pride, Budweiser Light. With a clean, distinctive taste. And a light beer worthy of the king of beers. Bring out your best. Bring out your best. The best never comes easy. That's why there's nothing else like it. And America watched that sexy fucking horse gallop down that beach and thought... Why not sample yet another bland mass market American beer that was created through the monstrosity of science to be somehow blander than it was before? And it sold well enough, but it couldn't match Miller's fizzy water tasting faintly of beer. Miller Lite maintained the top spot for folks who wanted to get drunk and pee a lot while pretending that they were drinking beer. Budweiser needed something special to convince Americans, specifically 18 to 25-year-old American men, that Bud Light was superior in taste to Miller Light. Child, they all taste the same. They do indeed. So they turned to America's advertising agencies, who uh, took a look around, thought about it for a minute, came back to Budweiser and said, well, what if we tried... Scantily clad women and... Which is what beer companies usually chose for the particular demographic we're talking about. But a 23-year-old art director named John Moore, working at Needham, Harper, and Steers in Chicago, had a different idea. He thought, what if the Bud Light mascot was a dog? And Budweiser was like, A dog. A male dog. And Moore replied, Also boobs, boob, and boobies. And Budweiser was like, well, so long as there's still boobs, we're willing to hear you out. And what Moore came up with was more than just a way to sell watery beer. He came up with a full-fledged fucking cultural goddamn phenomena. It all began with the dog. It had to be the right dog. It had to be a sexy dog. The dog needed to look like the kind of dog that liked to partay. It needed to be a manly breed. The kind of dog that, you know... He hates cats. And small little yappy dogs. So the search was on for just such a dog, and it had to be a real dog. This was before CGI could just whip out a passable dog on the computer. And at a dog show, they found just the right dog. Chicago's Fort Dearborn Bull Terrier Club's own Honey Tree Evil Eye. A white bull terrier with a distinct black eye patch over her left eye. He's a girl? Oh, yeah, indeed. The dog's name was Evie. You see, Spuds McKenzie was the very first gender non-conforming spokes person, I guess, for Bud Light. But we'll come back to that later. 
Quoting now from Mental Floss, quote, Evie's demeanor was unusually calm for her breed, and she behaved more like a lap cap than a rough-and-tumble bull terrier. Her breeder told the Bull Terrier Club of Dallas that she was so mellow and low-key, the owners sometimes used a yo-yo in the ring to get her to spark up and show. She was known to lounge around and munch on raisin checks, which was hand-fed to her. Relaxed and undemanding, Evie was a perfect candidate for TV work, unquote. So while they had the dog, now they needed to come up with the imagery. Spuds had to scream young dudes living their best life, which is not something that comes naturally to a dog, I guess. And also, in this case, young dudes living their best life was drinking milk toast, lukewarm piss water while wearing a lot of neon collars, moving arrhythmically to bad music while leering at girls that they hoped they could have sex with. Ah, to be young again. To convey this, Bud Light's first use of Spuds McKenzie was on posters. Again, from Mental Floss, quote, Soon posters of her as Spuds McKenzie sitting behind a goblet of Bud Light while wearing a Delta Omicron Gamma fraternity sweatshirt began to pop up at college campuses. The premise, cool dog is cool, proved so popular that wholesalers demanded Anheuser-Busch put Spuds on television, unquote. So, yet another Super Bowl commercial was commissioned. Budweiser is famous for their Super Bowl commercials. And this one was to introduce Spuds McKenzie to the world. It was at Super Bowl 21, the Broncos versus the New York Giants, that 87 million people saw Budweiser's original party animal on screen for the very first time. Like's original party animal. That's Spuds. He is the party. So go, Spuds, go! In which Spuds arrives at the club in a limo, because limousines were the way one indicated excessive wealth in the 1980s. A bevy of young, attractive people dressed in the height of 80s fashion spots the limo and Spuds as Spuds exit dressed in a white tuxedo jacket. You know, like dogs wear. It's like seeing a dog wearing clothes. Spuds enters the bar, orders up a cold Bud Light out the bar, surrounded by dancing women known as, and I'm not making this up, the Spudettes, and then proceeds to do turns around the dance floor while the adoring patrons of the nightclub declare that Spuds is indeed the party. More from Mental Floss, quote, The spot features a narrative arc that would become the go-to formula for the Spuds McKenzie of Wah. Number one, Spuds shows up at a party. Number two, everyone is thrilled to see Spuds, especially the women. David, an aside out of the quote, when you watch these commercials, it's not subtle. These hot 80s chicks want to fuck Spuds McKenzie. And Spuds McKenzie... I remind you, gentle pod friends, is a fucking dog. Number three, Robin Leach provides the voiceover, which hammers home the fact that not only is Spuds a cool party dude, but he is also obscenely wealthy. This stolid, fat, rich dog, surrounded by adoring models and sycophantic buddies, begs to be seen as both the result of and the response to the late 1980s, unquote. 
The choice of Robin Leach as the narrator is something that's probably lost on most of the young people, but back in the 80s, Robin was synonymous with conspicuous consumption because of a show called Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, a show in which its title really explains everything you need to know about the show. And Robin Leach's Champagne Wishes and Caviar Dreams became the mantra for aspiring boomers looking to make all the money and do all the blow in the 1980s. Meaning, I guess, that Spuds McKenzie was a baby boomer. Actually, I can see that. This $600,000 1987 money ad spot did its job. Going back to the Atlantic article, quote, These splashy ads helped boost Bud Light's sales 21% in the first year. By late 1994, Bud Light had passed Miller Lite as America's best-selling light lager and trailed only Budweiser among all beers, meaning Anheuser-Busch owned the top two spots. Seven years later, in 2001, Bud Light passed Budweiser to become America's best-selling beer, period. A staple at grocery stores and bars, a ubiquitous option at the ballpark, and an entry-level lager to crush at college parties and tailgates, unquote. What happened next was something very American and very 1980s. Spuds McKenzie became a thing. Within weeks, Spuds merch was everywhere. College bros were already hit to the Spud life. Posters and t-shirts dotted campuses around the country. But after the Super Bowl ad, Spuds became a media frenzy. More from Mental Floss. Quote, the reaction to the original 1987 ad was enthusiastic and what was followed was a full-on marketing assault. The key to the campaign's success, Bill Stolberg tells me, was the fact that they never acknowledged that Spuds was a dog. They would insist he was a man. Stolberg's name comes up a lot in old press clippings about Spud's meteoric rise to fame. He worked for Fleischman Hilliard, the PR firm Anheuser-Busch used for the campaign, and Stolberg traveled with Spud's and acted as his brand manager and voice. He recalls, the first question we'd always get would be, what kind of dog is Spud's? To which I replied, he's not a dog, he's an executive. As Spud's grew in popularity, so did the beer. According to the New York Times, Spuds helped increase the Bud Light sales by 20% between 1987 and 1988. Serious business journalists began contacting Stolberg for insight on the campaign and its star dog, but he wouldn't break character. Stolberg would insist that Spuds was a human man, a senior party consultant to be specific, and that he was so cool he didn't have to speak verbally. It would drive them crazy, he, Stolberg says. He went on tour, Spuds, whether to appear on Good Morning America or to throw out the first pitch at a National League playoff game. Despite the fact, again, Dave, and an aside, that it is physically fucking impossible for a dog to throw a fucking ball. Never mind. His, spark, his marketing team would go to extremes to perpetuate the Spuds McKinney mythos. We'd put him in limos and rent him his own hotel room, said Stolberg. He would be dressed in a tuxedo and walk through the airport with the Spudettes. People would see him, and that's how it would grow, unquote. And America could not get enough of Spuds McKenzie. Plush dolls, Halloween costumes, an appearance with Dick Clark. One never knows when one comes out into this audience what one will find or who will... Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, sitting in our audience is one of the celebrities of all time. He is the guru of good times, the chancellor of charm, the sage of sophistication. Please welcome everybody's favorite party animal, Spuds McKenzie! 
Spuds was on David Letterman. Spuds was on Good Morning America. Spuds was on Billboard. Spuds was in magazines. Spuds was everywhere. And Americans could not get enough of Spuds and the backwash beer that Spuds was selling. Spuds was so influential that Sir Mix-a-Lot wrote Baby Got Back partially in response to the skinny spudettes that accompanied the dog wherever Spuds went. Oh my God, Becky, look at her butt. It is so big. She looks like one of those rap guys' girlfriends who understands those rap guys. They only talk to her because she looks like a total prostitute, okay? I mean, her butt is just so big. I can't believe it's just so round. It's like out there. I mean... You get sprung. Wanna pull up tough? Cause you notice that butt was stuck. Deep in the jeans she's wearing. I'm hooked and I can't stop staring. Oh, Spotify be damned like I wasn't gonna drop baby got back in there. The LA Times called Spuds the nation's most unlikely sex symbol, writing in 1987, quote, since that commercial. His popularity has soared nationally and spawned a growth industry of t-shirts and other Spuds paraphernalia. The posters of the Ayatollah Partiola, in which he often appears surrounded by beautiful young women, are now the best-selling pinups in the country. He beats Max Headroom's 5-1 to one in the estimate of Leo Smith of Class Publications in Hartford, Connecticut, and easily outdistances TV's ALF in the number two poster market. In New York, Spuds McKenzie boutiques have opened in Macy's department stores featuring some of the more than 200 items from satin jackets to coffee mugs licensed to bear the Spuds name and image. And at the Museum of Contemporary Art gift shop in Los Angeles, inflatable Spuds toys complete with beware of party dog warnings are for sale among other examples of modern folk art. Elsewhere, Spuds lookalike contests are popular with both dogs and humans as contestants. A number of professional Spuds imposters, Spudstitutes, as the Budweiser team prefers to call them, have secured modeling gigs. One recently appearing on the cover of Detroit Monthly Magazine's Dog Days of Summer issue, unquote. There were even Spuds McKenzie scandals. More from the LA Times, quote, Like any truly big star, we're talking Joan Collins' potential here, Spuds has generated controversy. First, there was the minor flap over his gender, quickly being followed by false rumors that he was pregnant. Then came the gossip about his pedigree, a charge sternly disputed by Lewis Wellens, president of the Bull Terrier Club of America. Spuds, Wellens insisted, is absolutely not a pit bull. Why did it matter if Spuds was a pit bull? Because black people are stereotypically the owners of pit bulls. Yeah, it was the 80s. Lately, claimed PR agent Bill Stolberg, who was in charge of messaging Spud's image, there's been nasty speculation that Spud's had died in an, air an airline crash in Texas, in a limo incident in New York, or in a hot tub mishap in Southern California. Unquote. You know, you have made it as a celebrity when there are conspiracy theories about your death. And to be clear, the rumors that the ghost of Spud's McKenzie was seen floating over Matthew Perry's hot tub Sorry, I can't finish that joke. It's too tasteless. R.I.P. Matthew Perry. Although I kind of think Matthew Perry 
probably would have approved of it. But these were not the scandals that would end the reign of Spugs McKenzie. For that, it would take a doddering old racist from South Carolina. You remind me of a young, beautiful Strom Thurmond. A quick thumbnail bio of Strom Thurmond reads, Racist fuck, Dixiecrat, failed presidential racist fucking Dixiecrat bid. More racist shit, illegitimate mixed race child, more racist shit. Half a century in the Senate being a racist fuck, gets really old, dies at 101, fuck him. <sighs> Great summation. Strom got really angry about Spuds McKenzie. Surprise, he's transphobic as well. No, <laughs> almost certainly yes, if Strom knew what a trans person was. But that wasn't the reason that Strom got all pissy about Spuds McKenzie. Going back to Minifloss, quote, Less than a year after Spuds national TV debut, Strom Thurmond stood on the floor of the United States Senate chamber and waved a stuffed Spuds McKenzie doll. I mean, Strom was a piece of shit. But at least he wasn't reading hardcore porn into the Senate record to prove that trans people are evil like, you know, racist Southern senators do today. He accused Anheuser-Busch of using the mascot to sell alcohol to underage drinkers, saying, I'm not confident in the voluntary efforts of the alcohol beverage industry to increase public awareness of the hazards of alcohol abuse to 12-year-olds drinking wine coolers and wearing Spuds McKenzie t-shirts, he said. He made his case while standing in front of huge posters featuring the Ayatollah of Parliolo himself, Spuds McKenzie. A month later, Ohio stores pulled all Bud-like cartons that featured images of Spuds McKenzie dressed as Santa due to a law that prohibited St. Nick from being used to sell alcohol. Notice how they didn't apply to fucking Coca-Cola or anything else. You, you fucking literally Santa Claus could be used to sell anything except apparently booze and cigarettes, which quite frankly, if you've ever spent an entire evening trying to put together a fucking Barbie dream house on fucking Christmas Eve so your daughter would get in, in the morning... You're going to want a fucking couple of beers and a goddamn cigarette to get you through that fucking night. But I digress. Across the country, schools were banning students from wearing popular Spuds McKenzie gear. In response to all of this, Anheuser-Busch eventually switched its $50 million Spuds McKenzie campaign from Bud Light to a responsible drinking initiative. And this is why Super Bowl 23's 15-second spot features Spuds McKenzie playing guitar with no beer in sight, along with a tagline, no when to say when. One year prior, Super Bowl 22 featured an ad where Spuds McKenzie wins an Olympic gold medal in hockey and shares an ice-cold Bud Light with a gorgeous Russian woman, unquote. And to be clear, I want to be very, very clear. Yes, 12-year-old boys were definitely tooling around in Spuds McKenzie t-shirts and hanging Spuds McKenzie beer posters on their wall. And it was around this time that drinking culture was really taking a hit. Legal drinking age was now 21, and all sorts of brands were catching shit for a marking adult shit like booze and cigarettes to children. The brands all swore they weren't doing it, but brands lie about stuff like that all the time because they kind of have to. You just have to wink and nod along with them when they say it because, you know. That's capitalism. Evie the dog died at the age of 10 in 1993. That's average for a dog of her breed, especially back then. She did not die from a limo accident. She did not drown in a hot tub. Her Learjet did not cartwheel into the sea when Spuds took the stick during a coat bender. It was kidney failure. 
unrelated to alcoholism because not only was Evie not a dude, she didn't even like Bud Light. She has good taste. For all her fame, Evie spent the remaining years of her life with her human family, living a fairly normal dog life post-Spuds. I'm sure Evie did not miss the spotlight because when you look at the dog and she was a dog, not a fucking human being, not a sex symbol at all of her live appearances, she didn't exactly look enthused sitting on the lap of a Spud app. She looked like she had pounded way too many BLs and was ready to pass out for the night. Though Budweiser and her human handlers swear she was never doped. She was just a lump. And in 2017, Bud Light brought back Spuds as a, well, they call it a force ghost, but it's just a ghost in Super Bowl 51. Yeah, to be honest, I don't even have an excuse, man. I'm just going to stay in. Hello, Brian. Spots McKenzie? What are you doing here? My soul can't rest when people don't drink Bud Lights with friends. Oh. Not at this very moment, your friends are hanging out and you're missing it. I just didn't think that it was like a big deal, you know? Brian, listen. Yeah. I'm a man, you're a man. Take my leash. I need to show you something. In which... Budweiser violates all the fucking canon about Spuds McKenzie. First of all, Spuds doesn't talk. Second of all, Spuds does not interact with any other human beings because Spuds does not need to. They are, she, he is the party. Wherever Spuds appears, that's where the party is. And Spuds will not appear at some lame-ass motherfucker sitting on his couch by himself because if that was the case, Spuds would be here right now with me. What was that? Oh, oh wait, yeah. Yeah, the commercial is uh, Spuds Christmas Carol's a dude trying to get him to go out and drink Bud Light with his friends. And then Robin Leach comes over for his voiceover ending. But at least Robin Williams wasn't dead when they made it. I mean, he died right after that, but that's probably not Budweiser's fault. Bud Light enjoyed the top spot for beer for people who don't even know what good beer tastes like list for many, many years. It was the most drank beer in America for decades after Spuds and other brands would trade off for number one, but mostly it was Bud Light's game since about 2001. And then... Bud Light sent a six-pack of generic piss water to a trans influencer for a social media promotion, and the usual fuckwads lost their mind over it. Now, I could go into the whole thing, but you know the story. The fuckwads boycotted, the sales plummeted, Budweiser, or rather its parent company, AB InBev, fired the person who did the very small and very niche campaign, and now Bud Light is going to have to dig up the bones of Evie the dog and clone a new Spuds McKenzie. Just a regular beer. Allegedly. That's the story that the media tells you. But the truth is, that's not the truth. Going back to the Atlantic quote, but the light lager market was never a monopoly. If you decide to give up Bud Light, it's relatively painless to switch to the likes of Coors Light or Miller Light. Drinkers view such brands as interchangeable, says Harry Schumacher, the publisher of Beer Business Daily. They're the same price, and they taste the same. 
What matters is how customers feel about the brand. Fueled by strong marketing and a loyal Hispanic customer base, the Importer Constellation Brands has cultivated a broad following for Modelo Especial Michelob Ultra, which slightly outsold Bud Light in a recent scan data, which is also owned by InBev, is positioned as the light beer for active health-conscious drinkers to enjoy after cardio or golfing 18 holes. No, no, beer is not a health drink. Never has been, never will be. I don't give a shit what the brands fucking tell you. It's a goddamn beer. It's not a fucking smoothie. It's not a fucking kale shake. It's a goddamn fucking lukewarm, bland-ass fucking piss-water American beer. They're never getting that volume back, says Dave Infante, who publishes the drinks newsletter Fingers. Bud Light sales peaked at 42.4 million, million barrels in 2008, and it dropped to 25.7 million barrels by 2020, even before the boycott. It was always preordained that it wasn't going to be the best-selling beer in the country, unquote. And yes, Bud Light still leads in draft beer sales in bars, but that is a part of marketing agreements that predate the fucking fact that no one gives a shit about Bud Light anymore. But the truth is, today, when people reach for a banal, insubstantial, insipid American lager, they're reaching for brands like Modelo, which tastes exactly like Bud Light or Miller Light or Coors Light or Michelob Ultra or even a Tecate. Or actually, it tastes exactly like a glass of slightly below room temperature tap water that someone has spilled a little bit of beer in. It has nothing to do with a trans person and the shitbags that protested. You know, they actually went right back to drinking Bud Light after their two brain cells forgot what they were mad about in the first place. It had everything to do with Bud Light being fucking boring. At least Modelo sounds like you're about to drink something exciting even if, you know... It's just a regular beer, but we put it in a sexy-ass mug. Brand mascots are still around, of course, but they don't have the power they did back in the 1980s and 90s. Modern brands hold on to them because they became so established back in the day, but Gen Z doesn't give a fuck about them, from what I can tell. Oh, you know, they'll still be spotted in a Spuds McKinsey t-shirt, reprint, or wear a Avoid the Nord ball cap, but mascots lack the marketing power they did for boomers, Gen X, and millennials. These days, young humans are their own brands and their own mascots. Dylan Mulvaney, prior to her brush with the shittiest people in America, had a nice little thing being a cute young transgender person. She didn't need a big brand to sponsor her, and after after what happened, I suspect that a lot of Gen Z influencers will be very wary of linking themselves too closely with legacy brands. There are plenty of modern brands willing to pay top dollar to influencers that don't have the legacy of Kid Rock fucking getting all pissy, pissing his pants, and shooting up his Spuds McKenzie dorm room poster from 1988. And as for Spuds, well... Spuds was the product of the late 1980s. The Mental Floss article I quoted from spent a lot of time talking about the campaign being a self-aware joke. Quote, the hallmark of the late 1980s advertising was overt self-awareness. Audiences were wise to the BS, or at least marketers decided audiences should be hip to it, so commercials and spokespeople were done as parody, unquote. But you know, I was alive and well and consuming watery American beers at the time. And yeah, we didn't really take it seriously, but it wasn't a joke either. Spuds McKenzie was a goddamn thing and we were into it because Americans love kitschy shit. And, and Spuds was fucking kitschy shit. Look, you don't know how weird it was, but that dog 
was a goddamn sex symbol for a little while. And that really says everything you need to know about the tail end of the Reagan years. If it showed up in a goddamn limousine wearing a fucking tuxedo, we kind of wanted to fuck it just to be associated with money, even if it was a goddamn dog. That is it for our show this week. We are back on our bullshit after our spooky shit last month and catching up with the Dowers boys. We are back on it and we're getting ready to close out the year of 2023. My God, I've been having to look into 2024 and that's going to be our ninth goddamn year of this dumb fucking show. Why do we keep doing this? Is this, is this the definition of insanity? So, if you're willing to indulge in the definition of insanity, rate us and review us so other folks can take a listen and wonder why in God's name you have not sought help for your deep psychosis. If you want to hit us up with a buck for our Patreon, hit us up at patreon.com slash whatthehellpodcast. It keeps us in Bud Light. I'm kidding. We would never, ever fucking drink Bud Light. Do all the things Jeremy tells you to do in the closing. Otherwise, he and Spud's will kick your ass right out of their limo. And so for me, Dave, the only super party animal we've got around here is the one and only Gavin. Bledsoe! Producer. What? No, no, I, I'm not a pony. I don't ever go to pony. No, don't bring me into this. Gavin! And all the fictional spudettes on the show, we want to say, get your ass in the limo, babe. We are fucking having a party tonight. And we'll see you all next week. His name is Bud McKenzie. You know that anyone who sees him gets right in a party frenzy. He loves to party hearty. You know the pooch is super cool. What the hell were you thinking stars Dave Bledsoe and features Gavin St. James and several fictional minions? show is produced by Kimberly Steele and a part of the Seltzer Kings podcast network. You can find more information on the show on their website, whatthehellpodcast.com or on Twitter at the hell underscore podcast or on Facebook as what the hell podcast. Thanks for listening. I have no ending for this, so I take a small bow. It's Black Friday. Black Friday.